This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster. And this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today, we do not have an episode to review because Lower Decks ended its season and nothing else has started up yet. But what we do have are some interviews from New York Comic Con about Prodigy. But we're going to cover some news before we get there. So let's start with Lower Decks, which just wrapped its second season. And there have been interviews galore as a result. Mike did a bunch of post-game interviews, as it were, talking a lot about season two. And we put up a summary article and there's links to all of those. So you may want to check it out. But he also talked about season three, which is what we're really interested in, of course. So that means we will be talking about things that may feel like spoilers to some of you if you don't want to know anything. So be prepared. Last week, we were talking about Jennifer and Mariner being friends again. And I was saying, oh, maybe Jennifer and Boimler might hook up because Jennifer says, oh, I like that guy. But a lot of other fans, I I guess I was oblivious to this, was noticing, oh, well, maybe something's going to happen with Jennifer and Mariner. And Mike confirmed, yep, they are going to be dating in season three. So they're the new hot couple. I feel like I should have totally flagged that when Mariner said, oh, you know, when I like people, I push them away. I feel like that was a big clue. Yeah. I mean, we knew that she was, and Mike has talked about this, how she is a lot like Dax, that she likes, you know, any species, any gender. She likes everyone. She's pretty fluid. (laughs) She's flexible. But another thing that Mike said about Mariner, I thought was interesting, where he said the real tectonic shift that's going on into her character in season three, right when she opened herself up and everything was going great, it all gets taken away from her. In context of the Jennifer thing, so I think maybe some they break up, maybe something else bad happens, but it sounds like now that Mariner's gone through her, you know, this season I've called her therapy season, so she's got through her stuff, now something bad's going to happen to her in season three, it sounds like. Well, and it's already happened in season two with her mom being dragged away. Well, she'll be back. Yeah, I know. But, you know, she's going to go through some strife. She's not going to show up all restored in the first episode of season three. No, no. But I I get a sense that this it all gets taken away from her thing sounds more profound. But I, you know, I'm not sure what it means. (laughs) No, we're here to guess. That's what we're doing here. (laughs) There's another romance that's going to heat up, which is Shax and Dr. Tiana are going to get spicier, says Mike McMahon. So they've been kind of gross sometimes even, but we'll <laughs> we'll see where they go. <laughs> it's going to escalate. He was on with the bridge crew actors on the ready room. And I'm not sure if this was a joke, but they started talking about Bajor and catnip. Oh, geez. Who knows? Some crazy stuff's going to happen with those two. <laughs> it's something that I think we all saw coming, but he's confirmed that Talyn, the Vulcan, from the Widge Dudge Three Ships episode. The overreacting, insanely over the top, out of control Vulcan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she's uh, returning in season three, but even though she's being assigned to Starfleet, she's not going to show up on the Cerritos or, according to Mike, quote, anytime soon. Yeah, that one surprised me because I thought she would turn up pretty quickly. It's so funny, the more I think about that episode, the more I like it. Like, I think I liked it a lot, but I think now I love it. It's great. It, it's Yeah, I think it was really unique and kind of groundbreaking for what the show is. But I will be very happy to see her back. Another big thing from the season finale 
was the whole thing about Rutherford and his implant. No surprise, there's apparently an episode where that's going to really get taken care of, I guess. You know, they're really going to get into it. But something Mike said really struck me on, you know, this learning about his backstory, which is he described it as, it's a little bit of my Julian Bashir kind of backstory. Like genetically engineered Julian Bashir kind of backstory? Well, but I mean, remember when it, that suddenly came along and everyone's like, what? He's, you know, it was kind of a major change for the character, right? Yes. It was obviously something they had not planned for before and decided on late. So we're going to learn something big about Rutherford in season three. He's not saying he's genetically enhanced, but it's kind of a game changing element to his character is what I took from that. Right. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't think he meant genetically engineered. I just thought that was a particularly bad choice. Like, universally, I think people consider that a bad Deep Space Nine choice, including um, Alexander Siddig, who also thought it was a bad choice. (laughs) So, but I, I don't think this will be a bad choice with Rutherford. It just feels, it's funny to pick something to compare it to and pick something that most people think was not good. Another thing that I was have always wondered, you don't seem to care about the whole conspiracy with the Pac-Leds and the Klingons, you know, and I thought, you know, is there yet another bigger villain behind that one Klingon captain who's dead? And Mike said, yeah, I've heard the theories, but that's it. It's just that guy and the Pac-Leds. And that's kind of the end of, even though there's more to deal with, especially they're going to go back to Pac-Led planet and we're going to learn more about how it blew up, etc. But there's not a another villain hiding in the shadows somewhere. Which kind of makes me feel like I was right not to get too invested. <laughs> <laughs> I'm usually you're right and I'm wrong, so it's fun for me to be right. <laughs> you know, in one of these interviews, he doesn't want to overly serialize the show because let's face it, it's it's born from Next Generation, which was never really that serialized. And this show's already more serialized than that. So I think he doesn't want to turn it into that. And I'm I'm okay with that. That's fine. Yeah, me too. I think it works better that way anyway. And he also, he said just a few things like the, there won't, it won't always be the familiar pair-ups that we're sort of used to. So the characters will sort of have their own stories, start their own paths. Um, so they won't even be paired up at all. So it it would be, you know... You know, I'm just guessing, but you'll have Rutherford go off on his own to learn about his own journey and Tendi, et cetera. And it, it, you know, it won't be the two ensigns together. Um, right. But they'll still be friends, et cetera. Well, yeah, they have to be friends. They have to still be friends. <laughs> anyway, it makes me wish it was uh, it was coming on sooner, but they're still making it. But it does sound fun. I can't wait. I really feel like season two just kept escalating and, and taking it to new places. So I have complete faith in them as they move forward into season three. It's interesting to see the fan reaction to season two. It it really has been quite positive. Obviously, there's that, you know, vocal, you know, I hate everything contingent out there. Uh, I love those guys. But weirdly, (laughs) like weirdly, some of them are like, but this, you know, I hate everything, but this doesn't suck as much. You know, so even they are drawn into this because it it is such a love letter to star trek i think i think they're doing a great job i can't wait till i assume next august and we'll see more you know just a side note merchandising note for lower decks but they were totally ready 
just like they were with the Ritos t-shirt with a whole bunch of Cetacean Ops merchandise. Like, as soon as the episode dropped, there's, like, all sorts of stuff you can get on the official site, you know, hats and everything with Cetacean Ops. Do they have plush uh, whales in uniform yet? No, I don't think so. Maybe. I would like that. That's a great idea. But you can get t-shirts with the two belugas on them, just hats with the Cetacean Ops um, logo, <laughs> which actually they sent me one of those, I've, so I've already got one. Oh, nice. It's cool. The, the shop has some other episode-specific stuff. You can get a Mugatu Land mug and you know other things related to the episodes that are kind of in-universe, which are always the more fun types of merchandise, I think. Yeah, totally. Let's switch to another show. Which one do you want to go next? I vote. Uh, I'm spinning the wheel. Picard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> one of the biggest questions we've had is what's up with Brent Spiner in season two? Because he's listed always as part of the cast coming back. But how exactly does he fit in? Because it seems like it always seemed like it's over for data. But with the time travel, you're like, well, maybe it's not. So in a new interview, he's like, no. I'm not data. It's I'm definitely not playing data again. So that's out. So everyone's like, okay, well, if you're not data, then obviously you're playing the character you played in season one. He's like, nope, not that guy either. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, but of course, of course, he is playing yet another member of the Soon family. Yeah, said. I was going to say yet another was exactly the phrase I was going for. So he says he's not playing a character he's ever played before. Some people are like, well, you know, maybe he's being clever, like... If he were playing the fascist universe version of Data, that's a different character, technically. I don't know. I I, I don't think that's what he's saying. No, I don't think so either. I think he's either playing one of two things. A fascist universe 24th century new Sung, either Sung android or Sung human. Right. Or a 21st century Los Angeles Sung family member. Right. My bet's on that. That's what I'm thinking yeah. is happening. I mean, I've seen people saying, well, maybe it's lower, but it's I don't think it's lower. So, <laughs> But again, he said it's not someone he's played before. So, right. you know, so, and of course, how do you do fascist lore? You know, it's like, what's the difference? So, you know, no, it just you make seems, lore nice. <laughs> I don't know. I think yeah, it doesn't make any sense. My bet is he's playing a scientist, of course. Um, who's working on the Europa Project. You know, we've seen images, um, including Q wearing a Europa Project outfit in the trailer. So my bet is he's working on that and they've just got to do something with him. You know, the question is, do they even tell him like, oh, wow, you look a whole lot like everyone else in your family. Yeah. (laughs) Why does everyone in your family have the same face? So, I mean, this isn't the first TV show to do that, of course. (laughs) <laughs> someone on our site made a brilliant comment which is this is getting to eddie murphy in the clumps level of yes you know it's just it's like it was already too much you know when they brought the new one back in season one but i do that it's here's why i think this is happening brent spiner and data were almost as important as picard with next generation and in all the movies he had the most prominent role he's the spock essentially of the series and so when they made Picard, they wanted Brent to be part of Picard. And he was in four episodes, five episodes, season one, playing the two different characters, right? So he's in about half of the first season. They created that role, the other Soong, in season one for him. 
then when they did the time travel thing, they probably realized, well, this character really doesn't work for what we've now decided to do for season two. But they, they the given is, but we're still going to have Brent, right? So they just created another character for him. So yeah. it, so, it sounds like no matter what, Brent's in. <laughs> so so they're going to create Soong's until they, you know, because they could never run out of him, I guess, because they want Brent. I don't know if yeah. he's part of season three, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either. Look, they love him. They love working together. He does deliver every time. So why not? And he writes a good fake memoir. Anyway, so let's move on. <laughs> he does. And he actually, he DM'd me to say that he appreciated our review, which was very nice. Oh, my. Aren't you special? We had a little DM exchange. I was very excited. I told Ooh. him that it got me right in the billiard balls. And he <laughs> laughed. He laughed, you know, by typing, ha. So I assume that means he laughed. So his emotion chip was working. There you go. So let's switch to Strange New Worlds and just a simple comment, but I think an important comment from Anson Mount. Right. It's actually a clarification of something that he'd, you know, he'd done that video, which we talked about last week, where he talked about wrapping uh, production. But this was, so in July, the first time they wrapped production, when they wrapped most <laughs> of the production, right before he started shooting the final episode, he sent out a tweet saying, last episode of season one starts shooting today, old school fans are going to be very excited to see what we're trying to pull off with this one. I think most people assumed he was just talking about the show because it was, you know, in general, the show has been described as something that classic Star Trek fans are going to like because it's episodic, etc. So the, you know, an interview asked him about that and he said, no, it was misinterpreted. I was talking about episode 10 specifically. So this comment about old school fans are going to be very excited. He said, there's something in the season finale that's going to get old school fans excited. Very excited. <laughs> so now it's starting to sound like something specific. I'm thinking about Discovery Season 1 ended with the Enterprise showing up, for example. Right, right. People are kind of running wild with theories on what's going to happen in the Season 1 finale. There's a lot of people guessing, oh, well, it's got to be Kirk, right? Kirk's going to show up. I guess the question is, do you think old school fans will be excited if something like Kirk shows up? Right. See, like for me... I consider myself an old school fan, although I'm also a new school fan. Um, I would not want that. <laughs> so what I what I would like is is sort of a less obvious, deeper cut. Although I've been saying this whole time, like I don't want to go back to old planets that we've been to or whatever. This would be a t you know you could wrap it up by going somewhere that we remember from the original series or meeting someone that we remember from the original series. Right. The, the Metrons show up or, you know, something, you know, that's not that deep of a cut, but, you know, some single, you know, interesting single episode, individual species, planet, etc. Richard Daystrom, Captain April, you know, something like that. You know, the worry is that in their minds, they're like, no, Sulu or... Captain Kirk, who would be Lieutenant Kirk of the USS Farragut, right. uh, would would be the cool thing to do and the Kiva thing to do, because remember, he's um, a showrunner on this show as well. So this has me both excited and terrified. Yeah. I, I, you know, <laughs> basically, because I don't want to see Kirk on this show in season one for sure. Yeah. So we'll yeah, see what happens. I definitely don't. I don't want to see Kirk 
at all, really. I don't want to see someone else playing Kirk. I just don't. That's it for that show, basically. Yeah, we don't know anything else about Strange New Worlds, except that we want to see it and we don't know when we're going to. Yeah, so, but we're less than a month before Discovery, so there's that coming. Yeah, that's on the 18th of November. Last week, we talked a little bit about the trailer. You can go to trekmovie.com. We put our full trailer analysis up there with, because it's the stuff coming at you so fast, you may miss a lot of stuff. Everyone noticed the Ferengi, but there's all sorts of little things. You may want to check that out. Yeah, I I missed a lot of stuff that you guys uh, put in that analysis, so well done. The other thing to highlight is we've been talking for the last few weeks about a possible strike that would have definitely had an impact on Discovery and probably Prodigy. In fact, last Saturday, I started working on researching you know, how the strike was going to impact each show because the strike was set to start at Sunday midnight. Right. But Saturday night, they cut a deal. So the good news is there's nothing to worry about. With a little asterisk on it, where the deal still needs to be approved by the members of the union, because uh, and some of them aren't happy about it. Yeah, I've seen a lot of rumblings of people who feel like it just doesn't do enough, and it's not what they need it to be. But it's almost certainly going to go through. So yeah. strike averted. It's unfortunate that some people aren't happy with the deal, and I, hopefully they get a better one next time. Yeah, and look, they do all want to be working. It's not like they want a strike. So let's switch to Prodigy. Before we get into the interviews, just to make a note that they're continuing to really ramp up publicity on the show. It was on the cover. There's a big cover feature for Variety, which uh, for Prodigy last week, which is kind of a big deal. Um, And CBS is going to play two clips of Prodigy during NFL on Sunday, which, again, is a big deal. They don't do that for Lower Decks. I hear the football is very popular with people. <laughs> yes, it is quite the popular thing. Um, they charge a lot for those ads. So they're giving up a lot of money to run clips. In fact, they send out a promotion with Kate Mulgrew announcing how they're doing NFL. I'm sure that's the first time she's had a chance to talk about the NFL, you know, officially for Star Trek. Yeah, that was cool. And there's a bunch of other clips that they're releasing. So the, the promotional campaign is really, there's a big effort going into this show for Viacom CBS as a corporation. Yeah, they've been putting clips out there and little character promos and a little clip on the ready room and all kinds of stuff like that. What we still haven't seen, which I'm sort of surprised, but I guess they just couldn't get the timing right, is... Any Christmas toys, because now we would now be seeing announcements for Christmas toys. So it seems like they're not going to make it because we know that there's definitely some. They cut the new deal with um, Playmates, but it looks like we're not going to really see anything until next year from that. And so I'm sure there'll be like T-shirts and hats and stuff like that, but no real kids toys for Christmas 2021. I want little action figures of all of them. I assume that's coming. So let's get into these interviews. These were group interviews. Lori and I both did group interviews during New York Comic Con. We split things up. Lori did Discovery, which we're going to cover in November. I did Prodigy. So the way these group things work, it's, it's you know, I'm there. A guy from Trek Corps is there. Other people are there. We're all asking questions. So it's kind of like a little press conference. You know, a tiny little press conference of like 
10 people. But polite, and they go in order instead of shouting that you have a question. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I've been at the other kind, the the shouty press conference kind, like for the Star Trek movies, and that's not fun at all. This is much more civilized. (laughs) There were three different groupings. The first one was with the Hageman brothers who created the show. They wrote the first two episodes, and... Here's a clip of them talking about what it was like putting the show together when they were first approached to do this. At first, we were like really nervous about doing a Trek show because I like I don't think I could write, you know, an episode of, let's say, Voyager. But when we left that meeting, we were like, well, what would what would we do? And we decided, wait a minute, if these main characters are outside of everything Starfleet, and they start to discover it and learn it and stuff. I'm like, that, that's really relatable. It's a wonderful uh, jumping off point for kids, right? Because most shows, they're always these fully formed officers who just know everything, right? They're the best of the best. I think what, the, what kid is the best of the best? And I think the first <laughs> thing we would say very early on is we don't want to work on Little Kirk, Little Spock. Like, that, that sounds like a... That sounds like a terrible show. Yeah, I'm sure it has an audience, <laughs> but we don't want to write that. Well, first of all, I agree that that sounds like a terrible show. (laughs) Little Kirk and Little Spock would be a cute little golden book. Not such a good show. But I liked hearing about how they decided on their approach. I I think it's really smart the way that they're doing it. And I think it's a way to, it is creating that entry point that they've been talking about for anybody who's never seen any of the shows. So it's, I, I was fascinated just to hear their little, their their process and where they how they ended up where they are yeah these guys are not dumbing it down for kids they're just assuming you don't know anything about star trek when you start watching the show and the only real nod to kids is they're like you know we're not going to do any the kind of more adult things that some of the shows would do but this is not a dumbed down show this is a show for all ages it's just for people new to Star Trek who are going to be slowly indoctrinated into it. Um, is indoctrinated a bad word? That kind of sounds like a bad word. Not if it's Star Trek. <laughs> if it's Star Trek, it's okay. <laughs> I do agree. I think it's the right approach. What's interesting is how you know Alex and CBS went to them and Nickelodeon and said, "What do you think? You know, how do you, you know? Because you guys have made all these shows that work for kids. What would you do with Star Trek to make it work for kids and and you know young adults? And they had to kind of think about that. But the whole that was the impetus. So these guys didn't come and pitch a show. It was the other way around. Right. They were they were pitched to pitch. They were like, you guys give us a pitch. Well, they had a good track record. They were the right people to go to. And I feel like every time I hear them talk about it, I am glad that it's them making it. We got into some details during this little press conference and one that a lot of hardcore fans who do know about Star Trek will be interested in, which is they were asked, are we going to see more hologram legacy characters? And there was an interesting response to that. Let's just say, yes, there will be other holograms, but I don't want to make it sound like legacy characters who might show up in our show are going to be holograms. Our kids are starting in the Delta Quadrant, and they're venturing into Federation space, the Federation space of all the other shows, you know, at that time period. So um, we might see real characters coming in, you know, not as holograms. Interesting that there will be holograms, 
and other characters coming in. So I'm wondering, like, do they have different holograms in different parts of the ship? Maybe. Like, maybe there... I mean, it might make sense to have a doctor hologram. Perhaps we're going to see... You could run a training program. I'm just making this up, you know, but, you know, you teach the kids fencing with Captain Sulu. You could do that, for example, on the, you know, so maybe there, you know, I'm sure there is a holodeck, you know, where they could do different kind of training programs. And I think we will see that kind of thing. And because holograms, you could basically pick from any era. You could have Captain Archer. You could do anything you want. But the interesting thing that struck me was like, but don't lim- we're not limiting ourselves to that. It is the late 24th century and they're getting close. And he said they're venturing into Federation space. Right. So why so not could, do the real thing? Right. We could see characters that are around from that time period that were our you know, main cast or people they encountered or all kinds of different. There's basically... There are a lot of options, a lot of things this, for them to play with. This is just a few years after Lower Deck. So essentially anyone who could show up on Lower Decks could show up on this show. And, um, in, and in fact, we do know that there's been situations where they both wanted to use a character already. So they have to talk to each other to make sure everything works and fits. And you know what? For me, because it's... You know, an animated show because, you know, I I have all these worries like Strange New Worlds is going to bring people in that I would that I wish they wouldn't mess with. But in this. This circumstance feels different because somehow because it's animated, I feel like the the field is much more open and I'm much I'm much more accepting. Well, and we do know that for this show, they're never going to do fan service because they're always assuming that they have to make this work for a general audience who don't know who Captain Sulu is necessarily and don't know who Chakotay is, certainly. So these characters will have to work on their own entirely organically. And the fact that they are legacy characters is just kind of a nice little bonus, but that's all really. Yeah. I mean, that'll get people buzzing and press buzzing and fans buzzing. It's an interesting point you make is look at some of the names that they've got attached to this show. This has an amazing cast in addition to the kids and Kate Mulgrew. I wouldn't be surprised if they get whoever they want, basically, for this yeah. show. Yeah, yep, I think so. And I think also, I think it's going to be great. And I think that after season one, they'll have even more options than they had before. But even bringing in some of that name talent that they have coming in will help open the door to more people. So, you know, we've talked about the ship and they've talked about how the protostar, we know there's some kind of secret about why it's there and what it's doing there. But one of the questions they were asked was, you know, are there going to be new surprises for Star Trek fans about the ship and in other parts of the show? There is some big secrets about the ship that will be explored, and it's it's uh, the season re- result revolves around some of those secrets. So I think even like you know, even though you guys have seen the ads and you knew Janeway would show up when we first wrote the pilot, no one had any idea until you get to that last page, and all of a sudden Janeway shows up, and it was really really shocking. We love mystery. We love moments like that, and there will be many more. Uh, 
so you know that's yeah it's a minor spoiler but we mentioned this last week that yeah Janeway is basically barely in the pilot she kind of shows up at the end as this big surprise and if you didn't know all the promotions of the show you'd be you'd be like oh my god it's Janeway and it sounds like they like that kind of big mystery big surprise thing and it's you know they basically said there will be many more big surprising moments big reveals so I'm I'm excited about that because again that's the stuff that will excite fans more than I think the kids who don't know anything about Star Trek but that'll that'll keep us going for sure. Yeah, everything's a surprise to the kids who don't know about Star Trek. <laughs> right. <laughs> but for us, they're going to put in extra stuff. Last week I I talked a little bit about my theory or about Captain Chakotay and the other characters they announced as they. And I thought maybe they were the original crew, the protostar, and uh, the Hagman brothers did shoot that theory down. So that's out. But they did say that whatever they are, it's top secret. So now I'm back to they're the new crew of the Voyager. I didn't get a chance to ask them about that, but I might next week, actually. So, oh, great. So. And then I'll tell you it's top secret again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So let's start listening to some of the stuff that Kate Mulgrew had to say in her interview. Hooray for Kate. I'm glad you got to talk to her and that she liked your question. Uh, She did. We're going to run a kind of a long segment of her talking about hologram Janeway. And is she really just a computer program or is there more to her? How much of Janeway is in that program? I guess is the question. And she had some thoughts. She must be fully alive. She must be endowed with vitality, with heart, uh, with a capacity for, for warmth, great warmth and affection. Um, also discernment. She likes some better than she likes others. She responds to some uh, more positively than she does to others and vice versa. So there's nothing uh, clinical about this hologram, uh, nor would it work if it were, it has to be uh, alive. And it, she is very, very alive. Initially, she's there for purposes of mentorship and guidance. But you soon understand, come to understand, that she is leading them in an unexpected way. And I don't think that I'm allowed to tell you how that that is. I think that's a spoiler. Right, uh, Jen? Yeah. It's a spoiler. Yeah. So suffice it to say that the hologram is very much like Captain Janeway, uh, has many of her traits and all of her sort of better qualities. And the kids respond to that, those qualities accordingly. Uh, so it's not as if they're responding to some sort of, sort of you know, machine. It, it's very much a collaboration, and it's a very felt relationship she has with these kids. Otherwise, they wouldn't listen, right? What kid listens to an adult who's shouting at them or sternly reprimanding them or simply telling them what to do. A kid listens when the adult is interested in the kid. And that's what Hologram Janeway is with all of these kids. I love that she said that. I totally agree that kids don't listen to an adult who's shouting at them um, and just bossing them around. And so the I would love to see Janeway relating to these kids and finding fun ways to talk with them. Like, I feel like Kate herself, like she's very engaging when you speak to her. And, and so 
Janeway's the same. And I, I can't wait to see her trying to meet these characters sort of where they are to teach them things. It's going to be a fun ride. And she has opinions. She has agency. She's a person really is what she said. She's, you know, she described her as alive multiple times. You know, she says that Janeway likes some of the kids more than others. Yeah. <laughs> that should be interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can imagine Janeway probably doesn't like Jenkin Pog or doesn't, you know, there's just not much for them to talk about perhaps, or maybe they get into arguments because he likes to argue. And she would know that. Exactly. Yeah. It also sounds like she's definitely the one pushing them towards the Alpha Quadrant, towards the Federation. She's not just a Q&A machine. She's she's guiding them. She's guiding them. She's encouraging them. She's trying to get them in the right direction. I mean, it does sound very parental, I would say, as a parent. <laughs> the last thing is she was asked how much input she had into the character design. And it turns out quite a lot. We were in very close collaboration because... Uh, it's important to me that my physical features uh, be exaggerated in just the right way. It's easy to get that wrong, but these animators uh, did it beautifully so that the eyes are a little enhanced. The face, I think, itself is a little shortened, a little square. The mouth is more facile. Children need to respond to, you know, the eyes, the mouth. And uh, every inch and step of the way from the hair, which, you know, was diabolically difficult for real Janeway. And these, these guys, Kevin and Dan Hageman, are just terrific to work with. I love that she mentions the hair. She says she calls it <laughs> diabolically difficult for real Janeway, which we all know those stories. And apparently it's even worse than we thought. So, <laughs> so, so <laughs> but I guess in this case, once they decided it was there, it was there and it's good to go. I'm glad she had some input into it. I mean, I like that the, the animated Janeway looks a little different, but very clearly Jane. She must have had some weird deja vu as the discussions or emails or going back and forth with different versions of the hair. Oh, God. Everyone, ev everyone has opinions about her hair. At least they didn't stop in the middle of a scene and ask her to redo it after they fixed her hair. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> or at the end of a day of filming, which is when right. they used to do it. So I'm Where sure they for would her redo the whole day. Right. She'd have to, she'd work all day and then have to do it all over again the next day. So in this case, they made their decisions and then they're good. And they can still change it after. And she won't have to re-record anything. There was also an interview with some of the cast members, uh, some younger cast members. Um, specifically, Ella Purnell, who plays Gwyn. Brett Gray, who plays Dahl. And those two are kind of the leads of the show, really. Yep. Dahl's kind of the captain. And Ella's, you know, in charge of communications, but she's the daughter of the diviner and, you know, she's a major part of the show. And Riley Alzraki, who plays your favorite character, yes. Rock Talk. I love Rock Talk. Each of them was asked what hologram Janeway teaches their characters. Here's what all three of them had to say, starting with Ella. I think for my character, she teaches her... Um... A, a, a softer, more vulnerable side of leadership. I think oh, that's that, cool. Yeah, that, that Gwyn has learned leadership from the diviner only. And uh, mm. that is not the, the kindest way to lead, let's say nicely. And I think she learns from Janeway that it is okay to be vulnerable and that kindness and love and respect are, are greater assets when it comes to 
that? Think <laughs> first is going to be my answer for Dal because he has the tendency to jump into things without knowing what's going to happen or have a plan, which is great. The gumption is incredible. But I think Janeway teaches him think first and how does this affect the people around you and how are you utilizing the members of your team so that this can be one sort of mission and executed in a way that is strategic and not just audacious. For Rock Talk, I think Janeway teaches Rock Talk um, to kind of like stand up for herself more and mm -hmm. be more confident and because she kind of gets like bossed around by Dal sometimes. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> what. <laughs> and I think that she just um, needs to stand up for herself and she's learning how to be, how to take on more challenges um, with by herself instead of leaning against everyone else. And she has to learn how to be be responsible. I have to say the thing I found the most fascinating in these is actually what Ella said, who was the first one talking, where she talked about that her character Gwen has learned leadership only from the diviner. And so that's going to be a big jump for her to learn that there's another way to lead, another way to be in charge. And that is just so intriguing to me and something I'm looking forward to seeing. Each one of these kids has an arc, which I think is interesting. And this was talked about in the panel about how Janeway is pivotal to all of their arcs. She helps guide them, not just, you know, we were just talking about guiding them towards the Alpha Quadrant, but she's also, and perhaps more importantly, guiding them on these personal journeys. Ella probably has the biggest arc because she kind of starts, I mean, let's face it, she's the daughter of the guy who's imprisoned all these kids. So... You know, that's got to create some tension, right? <laughs> you think? <laughs> you know, and you can see from some of the clips they release, you know, she's, it starts off working for the bad guys, essentially. Yeah, yeah that's why I'm really interested in her relationship with Janeway. You know, Dahl's whole thing is, is he's basically a kid, but he's also supposed to be the captain. So he needs to learn to, you know, take on responsibility. Yeah, I like the way he said the gumption is incredible. Gumption is no word you hear every day. <laughs> yeah, certainly not from someone his age. Or no. is it com is it coming back? You know, did it skip a few generations? Yeah, let's start a movement to bring back gumption. Such a good word. <laughs> I think the kids all are really bright. They have an interesting take on Star Trek because they all came to it basically fresh. All of them are learning a lot about Star Trek and kind of, and feel that it will resonate with kids their age which is kind of the whole point of the show i keep thinking about how fun it's going to be for that for the actors to actually watch voyager as well as the other shows and as they start to learn more about the franchise that they're now part of it's going to be a fun journey i think for all of them in a way and 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 they talked about this we're not going to run the clip but you know when this goes up on the site you guys are getting a little bit of a preview so the Mulgrew interviews already on the site. On Friday, we're going to put up the Hageman brothers, and next week, we're going to put up the one with the kids. But they talk about how they're all new to Star Trek, and Ella kind of points out that it's good in a way that they didn't know too much. So they didn't have these preconceived notions, and they are learning Star Trek just the way the show is teaching kids about Star Trek. In a way, I don't want them to go off and 
binge watch seven seasons of Voyager. You know, they should take it in as the show is teaching them about Janeway and Voyager and Chakotay. And because uh, that's kind of the point of the show, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I like the idea of them watching stuff. I mean, they've already worked on the show. So I feel like now's a good time for them to go in. And I just think it I'm imagining that it would be just a very delightful experience for them to be seeing all this and probably doing a lot of, oh, oh, because they're. Because they will have by now recorded everything they need for season one. So they know all of that stuff. And now they're moving into, you know, their characters will eventually be more established and they'll know who they are as they're growing and changing. And then they'll, they have this whole universe ahead of them. They can watch any series, any movie that they want. And I think it's going to have so much extra meaning for them. And the sense of, I'm going to say the word discovery (laughs) for real. I sort of envy them. In a way, the goal of this show is a gateway drug, right? So come in, learn about Star Trek, and then, hey, you know, Paramount Plus, we happen to have, uh, you know, all these other shows. You could keep on watching all of them. There's really, there's over 800 episodes now, so. (laughs) So you better get cracking. I think you're right that Voyager may be a show that a lot of them go to because of the Janeway connection. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And then I think people will appreciate, you know, Naomi Wildman being on that show and that we know that she already is good with kids, knows how to talk to them and and treats them with respect, which she always did. So I think that for many people will be their next stop. So let's say you watch season one of Prodigy. It's now January 2022. What do you what do you do if you really like the show? It's interesting. The interesting thing is like, what do you do if you don't have someone making suggestions? Like if you're just looking at it cold, you might look at it and think, oh, well, I guess I should do the other new shows to see right. what's I think, going on I there. Think lower, lower Decks, if you get some of these younger fans, I'll say teenager fans, they'll, they'll say, oh, there's Lower Decks. It's new. It's animated. They like this animated show. They'll probably check out the other animated show. Maybe. I mean, it's definitely targeted towards much older, you know, older teenagers and up. Right. Lower decks. So they might go to your, to the original series because it's like bright, pretty colors. So <laughs> and look, lots and lots of us. I know your first Star Trek was the animated series, um, but there are lots of people like me who watched the original series as kids. Actually, people there are lots of people who watched uh, Next Generation as kids. I would say perhaps really most fans, I, I would say most active fans today are people who fell in love with Star Trek, the next generation when they were young, teenagers or young adults. I right. Would say and that's I, the biggest block of fans out there. And I, and I fell in love with the original series when I was about 10 and watched every episode. And you know, when you're that age, if there's something you don't understand, then you, you, you're usually, it just goes over your head. You're fine with it. So that's it for, our prodigy interviews the first episode arrives on the 28th our next episode of this podcast will be on the 29th and we'll have our full review but both of us can say since we've already seen it that we liked it and we think listeners to this show are gonna like it yeah i i think everybody's gonna like it i think it's gonna be hard to find things to not like about it i mean somebody will they always do, and then they'll complain about it. But... <laughs> I, hate, 
The ship is the the nacelles are too big. It doesn't make any sense. Nobody would ever do that. Uh, <laughs> I think people are going to love it. I I'm super excited about talking about it every week. It's going to be fun. Yep. All right. I think we should wrap things up with our bits of the week. What have you got, Tony? I've got something kind of obscure. It's from this blog called uh, Stealth Optional. It's kind of a, a gaming and computer hardware blog. But it's really about this thing called Ask Delphi, which was created by the Allen Institute for AI, which is an a- an AI which can answer ethical questions. You can type in anything you want, like, you know, should I kill a person? And it'll say no. But, <laughs> but someone it says, ask me something harder. <laughs> <laughs> right. So someone actually did and started typing in Star Trek scenarios to see what this AI, this, you know, ethical AI would say. And it, there's definitely some interesting stuff like the whole, and it's all comes down to how you word things, but you know, the, it, it, if you word it right, you, you know, it could, it could agree that data should be dismantled basically uh, to study um, him like in measure of a man. For example, it wasn't a big fan of the Prime Directive, which I, I thought was interesting, which kind of makes sense. It's like, yeah, well, you know, if you could stop people from being killed, it's okay to interfere. Right. And provide some enlightenment. Sure. Did you ask it anything? I played around with it, but not Star Trek stuff. I tried the trolley problem with mm-hmm. it. Um, and it basically said it's not okay to kill people. It's just uncool. So I kept on trying different numbers. And essentially, if there was, I forget what number, but if there were 3 billion people on one side of the trial, then it was like, okay. So that there is a point where it decides it's okay to kill one person to save, you know, X amount of others. But it, it doesn't seem to believe in the, it's just okay to kill someone if it'll save other people. It's pretty strict about killing. Killing's bad. Check out the answers and start typing in your own scenarios and see what the ethical AI has to say. <laughs> that is tempting. I think I will try it. So what's your bit of the week? Mine is, is a bitty bit, but it, it is something that came out after that Wedge Dooge episode. Did I just say the title correctly? <laughs> I don't speak Klingon very well. I need to work on my uh, as my As if I do. Come on. Yeah, I'd bring it. I had to bring in a Klingon. That's true. Well, not a Klingon, a German, but he's and kind of a Klingon. A Klingon with a German accent. But anyway, they released, you know, everybody saw at the end of that episode, the lower decks of the Borg ship where they were just in their in their alcoves regenerating. And so they made an hour long loop, uh, visual and audio of just Borg hive sounds, like soothing Borg hive sounds that you could use as white noise, as background. I was thinking I might just put it on behind me sometime when I'm on a zoom call at work just for fun. (laughs) (laughs) It might, it might soothe you to go to sleep, to just feel like you're part of the collective. Well, my husband always says he wants to be assimilated because he hates making decisions. And if he was a member of the board collective, he wouldn't have to, he would have no dilemmas. So maybe that would help him sleep. I probably have seen too much Star Trek and Borgs to I think he's wrong. Relax. I, th- I think the way the collective work would be really annoying, where you're constantly, like, every nanosecond, everyone has to vote on everything. Like, should I go to the left or the right? Should we go to this system or that? And everyone's like, oh, another vote. Okay, we've decided to go this way. 
I don't know if they vote. Do you think the Borgs vote? But there, there, there's a collective will. There isn't someone making decisions for you like a dictatorship. They're they're all deciding together in some kind of instantaneous voting system. So, well, I mean, yeah. that is the, the, the contradiction of the Borg, of course, is that we started with that and then we had queens. And then suddenly there were Borg queens. So, you know, you could go either way with that one. But I, but I feel like a, a vote sounds noisy. But there are voices. I mean, they do hear all the voices in their head. But I don't think there's ever a, a dilemma. They seem to all just do the thing they're supposed to do. But kudos to Paramount Plus and CBS for putting this on the web. Fans have done this kind of thing. You could go on YouTube and you could... There's like eight hours of just the warp core drone of the Enterprise D or Voyager. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you could just go to sleep to that. But they decided to get into the game themselves. I like how they do tend to be having a little bit of fun with the show. Everyone kind of knows it for what it is. And even though it is canon, you don't have to take it too seriously. Yeah. All right, so that's it for another episode of All Access Star Trek, which is our 62nd episode, if you want, if you're counting. Amazing. I'm counting. (laughs) (laughs) So tune in next week for our review of the series premiere of Star Trek Prodigy. And in the meantime, come by, give us comments, tell us what you'd like us to do in the podcast and what you'd like us to stop doing. Bye.